We got another rivalry game ahead of us on Sunday. It is the Commanders visiting the Giants. And this is one of the biggest games I think we've seen as Giants fans since the Super Bowl in 2011. Um, obviously, 2016 was a pivotal year, but it ended up being an anomaly. So, however you guys want to consider this, you know, is this the biggest game since 2011? Is this the biggest game since 2016? Make up your minds, but back for another preview pod. Like, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when live stream pops or your drops. Appreciate y'all coming back. Obviously, we got the lineup for you. I know we're releasing this a little bit late um, in conflict with the Knicks game a little bit and all these sort of different things. Um, we will have an interview. I did say on the Patriots stream that it was going to be Manny Chakuba. Um, unfortunately, he had an emergency he had to take care of, so we're going to have on Corey Sanchez of On the Warpath. He's got uh, over 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, so I recommend to go subbing up to him and all that sort of stuff. Um, but also five stars on Apple Podcasts. Let's talk about this game for 20 seconds before we go into the injury report, the analytics, the stats, all these different things, right? This is the game of the season right here. This is the game of the season. Until we prove to ourselves in terms of Giants proving to their fan base and proving to themselves that they can be capable of winning some of these football games that they have down the stretch. I released a video on Friday talking about the playoffs, talking about the fact that we either need to sweep Washington or get 10 wins. So either way, we'll need to get a win out of our ass, whether we're favored or not. Most likely not favored in a game like Commanders, Vikings, Eagles, one of the times. Uh, I think that the second Eagle game is less winnable than the first game, but... We're on the Commanders right now, so I'm not going to focus on that. Uh, one of the most important parts of this game is, you know, I like to throw myself in there. I will be at the game this weekend. Uh, I'll be with the uh, Talking Giants tailgate crew. There's going to be a lot of people there. Uh, I'm bringing my own crew as well. Matt Riley, who's a friend of the show. Sean will be there, uh, former Boys and Big Apple co-host. And then uh, Luca will be there too. So we're going to have a lot of fun. Probably going to get to the stadium around 8 o'clock, 8, 10 in the morning freeze my ass off, wake up at 6 in the morning, um, and then right after we go to the Knicks game. So um, this is extremely pivotal. It is big as well. The Giants are wearing their uh, throwback uniforms, and unfortunately the NFL shop is continually running out of those, and they haven't really restocked it fully yet, so I couldn't get a custom. Hopefully by the time I go to the Colts game, they will have a custom, but I just realized as well, I haven't seen the Giants in their home uniforms, um, except for that one time against the Bears, but that was preseason. So, like, last year was um, the Color Rush jerseys, which they recorded a win surprisingly in them. And then the second time, obviously, we'll see what they do this Sunday, is going to be in those throwbacks. So, those are some parts in this game that are really exciting for me. But I think we all know what the elephant in the room of this game is. I think we all know it. That's not just the fact that this is a pivotal game in terms of the playoffs. This is a pivotal game in terms of getting our guys back. There is a ton of guys, probably about five of them, that are pivotal to the starting lineup. Um, I'll give my thoughts on Feliciano. But why don't we just go into the injury report? I'll talk about them when I get to the Giants. I'll preview the uh, 
the Washington football team slash commander's injury report first. Uh, wide receiver Dax Milne is out with a foot injury. Benjamin St. Justy, he's out with an ankle injury. And Tri Turner, the starting right guard, is out with an ankle injury and a knee injury as well. So um, automatically you think, got to attack that interior. Um, as far as St. Justy goes, Christian Holmes is probably going to start in his place. He's a seventh-round pick. I want to say out of Oklahoma State. I might have that wrong. But um, just to look up the stats real quickly on him, three completions allowed on three targets, 33 yards, 112.5 passer rating. So if you're with the Giants, if you want to have some sort of a passing game, whether it's Isaiah Hodgins on him or it's uh, someone else, you know, attack Christian Holmes. Balance out your offense a little bit. And this is a tough Washington defense, uh, so it's not like they're bad against the run and they're good against the pass or they're bad against the pass and they're good against the run. It's not really working that way. Um, they're very solid on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively is really a different story. Um, so I talked about St. Juice and him being out. I talked about Trey Turner. Um, not Well, I should say Trey Turner, not Trey Turner, the shortstop. Uh, for There's a free agent right now. I'm talking about Trey Turner, the right guard. But uh, nothing with Dax Milne. Now you look at the Giants injury report. There's a lot of questionable ones there, but there's three guys that are inactive, so let's go over that. Uh, Joshua Zudu, I think this one hurts a little bit more than people anticipate it because uh, if you've known me, if you watch my videos, if you watch my content, I'm not a fan of John Feliciano, and Joshua Zudu could be starting with a really solid center in Nick Gates, but uh, we still have yet to see what that's going to look like come Sunday uh, because they're definitely putting Feliciano back into the lineup. I I'm just not a big fan of him. Um, Adoree Jackson is out. We knew that. And then uh, Shane Lemieux is out with a toe injury. In my opinion, you have to shelve him for the rest of the year. Uh, I I'm starting to slowly think he's a lost cause. But hey, listen, um, we'll see what happens with Shane Lemieux. Now let's talk about uh, the big part, getting these guys back. I'm going to talk about some of the lesser guys before we talk about you know the guys that are like Daniel Bellinger, right? So Gary Brightwell, he had an illness earlier in the week. He's questionable. I think he'll play. Uh, Richie James is questionable with a knee injury. I think he'll play. Carter Coughlin, questionable with a thigh injury. He'll play probably. Uh, Darnay Holmes, shoulder injury. He'll play. Um, and then we get to the pivotal guys, right? Dane Belton, he didn't play a ton against the Dallas Cowboys, but this could be a game where, you know, he he makes his rock. Um, Jason Pinnock did not really do that good against the Cowboys as a starter. Uh, multiple missed tackles. It was bad from him. And, you know, I like Pinnock, but not as a starter. So maybe uh, call up Terrell Burgess again if he's not already on the roster. Um, and you do something like that as well. But uh, talked about Brightwell, talked about James, Daniel Bellinger. I, I'm so excited about him coming back. I, I really am. Um, it's... It's just great to have a guy like him back, you know, a, a reliable tight end, uh, someone who's going to be able to catch the football and block as well. We talked about Dane Belton, John Feliciano. I mean, he's probably going to be back. Um, Cordell Flott had a concussion against the Cowboys, but uh, from what we know, he's going to play. Fabian Moreau, I mean, that one hits big. That one hits big. I mean, he's facing his former team, the team that drafted him, but also as well, He's going up against Terry McLaurin. And, you know, they have some really good receivers. They have Curtis Samuel. Obviously, they could use their backs out of the backfield as receivers. 
Um, but Terry McLaurin was a major worry coming into this game, especially with you know Washington heating up and not having a Dory Jackson is a self-inflicted wound here. But if you get Fabian Moreau back, I mean he provides like at least solid half of the field that it's not going to be shut down, but they're not going to target him too often. Like I don't see Fabian Moreau getting beat too many times by McLaurin. I know he struggled against Nico Collins. Um, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens come Sunday. Darius Slayton is also questionable with an illness. Uh, he did not practice the last two days, so we'll see what happens. He is a pivotal part of the offense. Um, so we went as far as the injury report and all that stuff. Let's talk about the 2022 stats and analytics. Let's start out with the Washington Commanders. 23rd in total yards per game and passing offense. Um, 15th in rushing yards per game and 24th. In points per game, uh, eighth in total yards per game on defense, tenth against the pass, eighth against the run, and tenth in points per game. So a really solid defense overall. I have to compliment Jack Del Rio. Um, and this is really a team that's just turned it around. Like in the first half, we thought they were going to collapse, right? You know, the Dan Snyder stuff, Carson Wentz, uh, Ron Rivera. We thought it was all going to collapse, but you know, shout outs to the Commanders. Um, you know, they've turned it around a little bit and obviously they have sort of a tough schedule going down the stretch, not as tough as we do, but you know, we'll see what happens. Um, they're 22nd in pass percentage, 11th in run percentage, 25th in pass percentage on first down and ninth in a run percentage on first down. So they're more of a running football team and you would expect that with the quarterback, uh, like Taylor Heineke. So I, wonder, I believe he's been a little bit more turnover prone in the last few games, um, at least to my knowledge. So we'll see if the Giants try to pick him off a little bit. They are also 19th in blitz percentage, but they get to the quarterback. 4th in pressure percentage and 12th in sacks. You look at the Giants, 20th in total yards per game on offense, 28th in passing yards per game, 6th in rushing offense, 22nd in points per game. Defense, 22nd in total yards per game, 16th against the pass, 26th against the run, 14th in points per game, 28th in terms of uh, pass percentage, 5th in run percentage, 29th in pass percentage on first down, and 5th in run percentage on first down. Uh, I would expect a lot more of that. Obviously, last week with Dallas, um, they weren't really run first down much. They kind of changed their strategy. They deviated from it a little bit about this you know, first down run stuff. And you guys know me. I'm not a first down run type of guy. I'm a first down pass type of guy. Um, but with that being said as well, you know, we'll see what works and we'll see what doesn't work on Sunday. They're also first in bliss percentage, 11th in pressure percentage. That's a positive stat and 26th in sacks. I would like them to get to the quarterback a little bit more. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I would like them to get to the quarterback a little bit more. Tibbs, we got Aziz coming back. I didn't even mention that because he's not on the injury report. Evan Neal, too. Those are two pivotal guys once again. Um, people probably thought I was weird in the first half not mentioning them, but they're not on the injury report. Like Evan Neal is not even questionable. He's going to be cleared to play. He says, yeah, I'm ready to play. And Aziz is probably going to get activated. If he's not, I'm going to be down in the dumps a little bit. But, man, getting him back puts um, a little less pressure on Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. You know, Thibodeau obviously has been getting some scrutiny the last few weeks in terms of production, and we all know the holding stuff and whatever. Um, but it just gives him uh, someone that they could pay attention to that guy. And Sam Cosme's given up five sacks this year. Zizo Jalari has two sacks on Cosme in his career. Uh, 
both last year, both in each game. One was uh, obviously the last game of the season, and the second game of the season on primetime. That was his second NFL sack. So just some things to throw in there. Uh, Things to look for. Let's go to that. Double running back threat, Robinson and Gibson. Gibson's probably going to be more the receiver. Uh, Brian Robinson has done really well lately. Obviously, there's a, a story behind it, and you know you could consider him maybe for comeback player of the year. But um, with that being said, I mean Robinson is a trucker. Gibson is more of the speed guy. You'll probably see him more out of the backfield as a receiver, uh, which is going to put maybe some guys in conflict. It depends who they have covering Gibson. Like if you asked me now. Uh, in terms of covering guys, I'd probably put a safety or maybe even Micah McFadden on Gibson. Micah McFadden is very good in coverage of running backs. Uh, we haven't seen him really too much against tight ends. But when it comes to Brian Robinson, I would get a thicker guy, someone like a Jalen Smith, someone like um, a Landon Collins maybe. I'm not suggesting he be in coverage all the time because I know we think negatively of Landon Collins in coverage. And it's very unlikely that he gets activated for this game. But, you know, maybe a Jalen Smith, a Tay Crowder, a little bit of a chunkier guy because I'm not saying Micah McFadden is a skinny mini, but at the same time, just, you know, without even looking up frame, weight, height, and all that stuff, I feel like Robinson could truck Micah McFadden. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope to be. But I'm just trying to, you know, emphasize it and really think of situations in my head. So double running back threat. I mean, once again, I was talking about the passing game. The running game is going to be more pivotal. And they just, they have to stop the run. This cannot be a thing like the Chargers have been the last few years or whatever. You need guys that can tackle uh, beyond, beyond Dexter Lawrence, beyond a guy like Leonard Williams. And I feel in my heart personally that the loss of Nick Williams was pivotal. The loss of Xavier McKinney was pivotal. Um, we really haven't had too many solid linebackers this year, but I just feel like those two guys were pivotal in the ways that they got snaps. Xavier McKinney making tackles and then, um, you know, uh, Nick Williams being a depth defensive tackle. Like, I think he's better than Henry Mundo and Justin Ellis. Unfortunately, he tore his bicep and he's done for the season, so there's that. But... They need to find a way to stop the run, whether it's elevating an extra D lineman, uh, stacking the box maybe a little bit more, just maintaining gap discipline. They have to get guys um, at some point, whether it's this year, next year, maybe even sooner than later, just because of the development's sake, where they have to be able to disengage blocks. Because, you know, people look at the last game and they watch it, they say, oh, well, Jalen Smith had a good game. And then you look at the film, it's like, He's still getting blown up by offensive linemen, whatever. So, wink. Try to, you know, put a game plan out there. If you want my honest opinion, and this is going to be a hot take to some, I would rather them beat us with a pass because that way they we can send some pressure. I'm a little confident. You know, Fabian Moreau comes back, right? I like Radarius Williams on the other side. Now, is he a top-tier corner? No, he's not. But he really did a nice job against the Cowboys where you could say, okay, this guy is probably a depth piece for the future compared to guys like, I don't know, maybe Darnay Holmes, depending on how you feel with him. I mean, Holmes is going to be in the slot either way, so it's not like we're missing a piece there. But at the same time, he did get wrecked a little bit uh, by 
CD Lamb. So maybe they rotate McLeod in as well. Maybe do some nickel and dime packages uh, with different DBs. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Um, more creative runs from the New York Giants and a less usage of Saquon Barkley. We know Saquon is either hurt or he's tired. Um, me and Donald have been kind of saying it for weeks. Going back to that Texan game, 35 carries for Barkley is not necessarily ideal because of the injuries he's been through, because of the line he has to run behind, and just overall, man, he's not that type of cowbell back. He is not. Um, I've kind of been saying it for weeks now that they need to depend a little bit more on the pass, creative, you know, being creative in the, in the passing game, even though you don't have the personnel. And I just don't think personnel should be the end-all, be-all excuse for why you don't pass the football. Um, you know, they run the football, right? Do we have a perfect offensive line? No. So what's the argument there? Yeah, we have Saquon Barkley, but when we, when you run him down, I mean, what's the excuse there? People say, well, you know, Daniel Jones doesn't have protection to go deep. That's bullshit because, well, it's bullshit, but it's not bullshit. It's bullshit in a way because he threw deep to Darius Slayton. Mark Lewinsky was in his face. So he didn't have protection, but he still made the throw which obviously you could get into an argument with different people about the consistency of Daniel Jones. And that's something where I say, okay, you know, he made that throw, but he couldn't make the throw on fourth and one against the Cowboys last week. So, you know, argue at your will. But in terms of the Giants running the football, I think that's what they want to do this game. Um, we'll see what happens. Obviously, the O-line has to block up front. They have some monster guys. Uh, Chase Young looks to be coming back. i once again, forgot to mention earlier, Antonio Gibson and Chase Young are questionable. I think both of them are going to play, honestly. But, um, you know, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, I mean, that's a scary front. Uh, so they'll need to be creative. Uh, Gary Brightwell, obviously, isn't the most efficient running back, but he's got some speed. Uh, I like their creativity, but last week it came in a pivotal time where we could have been throwing the football, and you know what? Uh, they could have just maybe try to put a little bit more effort efficiency and also urgency into that part of the game but obviously last week is last week we're focusing on this week um more blitzes to attack the line washington and extra protection for the new york giants so we did mention earlier that they blitz 19th most in the league now they get to the quarterback the 12th most and they pressure the quarterback fourth most uh, obviously, some advanced analytics I always include. It's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how they dial up these different protections. And mostly when we see the extra tackle, we're thinking, oh, wait a second. It's probably going to go ahead and be a run play. I think they need to use that a little bit in terms of pass protection more. Um, stick Matt Paired out there. I think he's the swing tackle as of right now. Tyree Phillips, swing him out there. I mean, I'm surprised he's not trying to start at guard. I would honestly maybe take him over Feliciano, but, you know, it has to take a while for some guys to get in sync. Either way, Andrew Thomas is dealing with another left guard. So uh, hopefully during practice this week, they got in sync, whoever that mystery left guard is going to be. But I would definitely, for uh, the Giants aspect, use more protection. Um, we'll see if they could get a play action or a quick game going. But they also, and I didn't even include this, they also need to get Daniel Jones running with his legs. I urge you guys on social media, and I'll try to do this myself as well. I urge you guys to go ask the beat reporters to ask this question. Is Daniel Jones allowed to take off and run? 
obviously there's design runs right the design zone read the read option whatever you want to call it but last week we saw a lot of different cases where he could have taken the ball and ran with it um he only had like two three carries in the game one of them being a scramble and it's like that could have been an extension of the running game but it wasn't so is it Mike Kafka saying Daniel Jones you know you gotta do what I say and I'm not saying that he's being a dictator but I'm just you know genuinely asking is it Kafka saying look stick to the game plan or is it Daniel Jones lack of creativity and lack of deviation from the game plan um you know the second one I'm really worried about because even with the Garrett scheme last year Daniel Jones you know he can audible but it's just he doesn't do it too often my personal opinion maybe I'm wrong um but I would look for them to use the legs on Daniel Jones and if they don't I'm gonna be a little surprised and now that I think about it the last few times we faced Washington with Daniel Jones he's used his legs so they should expect it and we should go with it that's just my personal opinion uh, on that of course so let's go to players to watch Taylor Heineke on this season he's got a completion percentage of 60.8 which obviously isn't great uh 6.8 yards per pass 194.8 yards per game so that's extremely low obviously tells you a how much his ceiling is and how much they depend on the run uh he's got seven touchdowns and five interceptions on the season so there's that uh, he's played in six games thus far um obviously he took over for i think he took over for once in one of the games he got hurt or once finished uh the game whatever it was but heineke he's played six games this year you guys can get the get the uh get the picture he's got an 82.7 passer rating but you move on to something that's a bigger threat to the new york giants in my opinion is their running game um obviously total wise between the two not a ton of rushing yards but um in terms of individually it's not like it's 500 600 but they combine for over 800 possibly even 900 uh antonio gibson 3.7 yards per carry three touchdowns um 130 attempts 476 yards then you look at brian robinson 3.7 yards per carry 126 uh attempts 467 rushing yards so you could honestly just flip the seven and the six in both but uh, he's got two touchdowns on the season curtis samuel they'll use as a rusher on occasion you know to try to get that uh extension of the running game going I think McKissick's on IR, but they could use him as well. Actually, I have the page open so I could see. Uh, Jonathan Williams is an extra back as well, but they're probably not going to use him. Yep, I was right about McKissick. He is on IR. So there's that. Um, I am, once again, a little scared about this passing game, but I'm more scared about the running game. Uh, Depends, obviously, which one they break open against us. And they'll have either both ways or one way. I don't think the Giants are going to completely stop both. In terms of the receiving game, Terry McLaurin is 160 yards away from 1,000. He's got two touchdowns, 15.6 yards per reception. Curtis Samuel, 493 yards, three touchdowns. After last year, what looked to be a very you know, confusing, I would say, one of the bust contracts, at least to casual fans. He's, he's done a nice job this year for the Washington Commanders. Three touchdowns, 493 receiving yards. Uh, six plays over 20 Antonio Gibson is their third leading receiver talked about that in the beginning Um, obviously that also talks to the lack of rushing yards he has 
Um, 306 receiving yards, two touchdowns, 7.7 yards per reception. Logan Thomas, uh, he's been a factor ever since 2020. uh, Not 179, but 190 yards, one touchdown, nine yards per reception. Jahan Dotson is also in there as well. You could sprinkle him in. 179 yards, four touchdowns, three plays over 20 yards. So let's talk about the defense. We're going to go over those three big guys uh, first. Jonathan Allen, him and Deron Payne are obviously getting some really good voting results from the Pro Bowl, as deserved. I have to be real and honest and unbiased. Uh, Jonathan Allen on the season Six and a half sacks, 20 pressures, 45 tackles, 14 tackles for a loss, 16 quarterback hits, a forced fumble, and also an interception. Um, These guys just stay healthy every single year, and they're one of the best D-lines in the league, and they also do both very good. They stop the run, and they stop the pass in terms of getting to the quarterback. So, shout-outs to them. Uh, That's one of the things I'm... Really, really concerned about with the interior line. Uh, Deron Payne, he's another guy, first round pick out of Bama. 17 pressures, six and a half sacks, 47 tackles. Um, he's also got 13 tackles for loss, 14 quarterback hits, and a fumble recovery. Then you go to a guy who really didn't get recognized, I say, probably until his second year in the league. Um, everybody was looking at Chase Young in 2020. Well, Montez Sweat also had a really good year. But this year, he's got 27 pressures, 7 sacks, 35 tackles, 11 tackles for a loss, and 24 quarterback hits. We move into the secondary, and there's two safeties I want to go over, and also one corner. Uh, one corner is Kendall Fuller. Um, you know, he picked off Daniel Jones two years ago when they came to us, and we had no fans uh, in 2020. Uh, it was... An interesting call they made, but I understood it. I think he got his knee down or whatever the case was that they made uh, the reason for the call. But Kendall Fuller, I believe the last two games, has two interceptions or at least two forced turnovers in each. Uh, He's got one pass deflection on the year, one tackle for a loss. Has allowed a completion percentage of 55, which is the lowest he's allowed in years. I'm looking at this sheet right now. I mean, last year was 67.3, then 61.2, 77.8, 67.3 again. Um, but two interceptions, 55% completion allowed, 473 yards, three touchdowns. Obviously, that also matches up with the two interceptions and an 83.5 pass rating, which is the lowest uh, he's had in years as well to go along with 41 tackles. Um, I talked about Christian Holmes earlier. He's probably going to start in uh, lieu of St. Justy. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly i'm just not familiar how you pronounce that i don't know who's going to be their third corner though uh it says rashad wild goose is going to be it but it also could be danny johnson so uh, i'll definitely have to ask Corey about that as well uh two guys and they find safeties like you know i would i don't even know how to put it but Derek forrest has been a great pickup for them this year He's very good in coverage, 52.6 completion percentage. He's got three picks on the year, 61.6 passer rating, two touchdowns allowed, um, no pressures. He's, I guess, not really a box safety. He's more of a deep guy. Uh, 61 tackles, a tackle for loss, and a fumble recovery. This guy has done it all. Um, you look at guys like Sauce Gardner and some of these other guys, you know, in terms of defensive rookie of the year, Derek Forrest, in my opinion, deserves to be on that list. And I'm pretty sure Derek Forrest is undrafted. And it's not very easy for some of these undrafted guys to come in the league. That's why I always harp on the preseason. Preseason fucking matters. 
Uh, a lot of people disagree with me, and that's fine, but my argument just got a lot bigger. Uh, so Derek Forrest, obviously. Bobby McCain also plays some free safety as well. Um, one site they show him as a corner, one site they show him as a free safety, but Derek Forrest obviously is probably getting a little bit more snaps over the last few weeks. Um, and then the guy we've known since 2020, Cameron Curl. He's not the prototypical coverage linebacker. You look at the stats, 113 passer rating, no interceptions, two touchdowns allowed, 75% completion, 258 yards. But I would assume he's more of the box-esque safety, you know, mid-level of the field. Uh, one sack on the season, five tackles for a loss, and uh, one pressure to go along with 65 tackles. So there's a lot more to look at on defense than on offense for them. Um, as far as one keynote to add about their offensive line, we talked about Tri Turner being out. Um, they have one less sack allowed than we do. So, yeah, they may have some solid tackles, but I'm going to take a guess, an educated guess, and say that interior is uh, is uh, struggling a little bit. But, hey, listen, obviously I haven't recorded the interview with Corey yet, so we could go ahead and not spoil that uh, because, of course, I didn't record it yet. Now let's go to questions and answer, then it's keys to win, and then a prediction. So questions and answer, will Daniel Jones be properly protected? Will the interior be able to handle the interior pressure? Um, I don't know what their situation is in terms of game plan. Could it be double teams? Could it be using the extra tackle? That's what, you know, I would go with. Um, Matt Parrott and Tyree Phillips are probably your two top options this game in terms of going to, you know, different guys and whatever. Um, you know, it would be interesting if they elevated a guard from the practice squad, maybe Solomon Kinley, maybe they trust him a little bit more than Jack Anderson. Um, but anyway, in terms of just handling the pressure, I mean, I'm not scared about Chase Young totally yet. Hopefully Montez Sweat plays to the side of Andrew Thomas, but I don't think he will. I think he'll play to the side of Evan Neal. Um, just because you could probably rack up some more stats and production that way. But, uh, Feliciano Hopefully he works with Gates a little bit more. Glowinski, I mean, I'm concerned about him because bigger defensive linemen like to claw on his shoulder and, um, you know, get to the quarterback that way. So we'll see what happens. Uh, either way, one of these guards has to handle their own. Um, you're not going to have a double team between left guard and right guard. That's just not going to happen unless Feliciano is double teaming with a guy like Mark Lewinsky and he's the center. I don't want Gates moved off of center because we know what happened last year, and I just didn't think it was a good strategy where you could have just said, hey, listen, Ben Bredesen, you're the left guard now, but, you know, that's last year. Um, how much will Saquon Barkley be used? Will DJ use his legs more? Who's at left guard and center? Um, so a lot of people think that Feliciano's going to be the center. A lot of people think that's Gates, you know, Gates is going to be the center and uh, moving to left guard is going to be Feliciano. Um Either way, I think it's it's pretty risky. And obviously, you're not dealt a great hand with the injuries to Joshua Zudu or Shane Lemieux. More so is Zudu. Um, and also, Bredesen's not returning for another week. So, you're kind of fucked in that aspect. But, you know, if Feliciano's center, he's probably going to make Glowinski look a little worse than he is. And if he's a left guard, well, he's teaming up with Thomas and Gates. So, I'm, again, I'm a little scared with that. But apparently, um, you know... People had conflicting views about him coming in. Like, oh, well, he's actually a good center. Oh, he's you know, better as a left guard. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, as far as the running game goes, how much will Barkley be used and how much 
will DJ use his legs? I would like DJ to use his legs more. Um, obviously, it would create an extension in the running game. You want to be creative with Brita. You want to be creative with Brightwell. You want to give Barkley a little rest. And I think DJ using his legs puts the cherry on top to that whole equation. How much is the offense affected by the looming returns of Daniel Bellinger and Evan Neal? Has to be has to be a positive. Has to be a positive. Um, Daniel Bellinger could also pass protect, but at the same time, he's probably your number two weapon on the field right now. I mean, Hodgins is decent. Um, Darius Slayton is Darius Slayton. I've talked about him before and extending him. But other than that, I mean, you could probably use Myrick as a blocker and then send Bellinger out and see, you know, if he could be a mismatch in terms of being a big body for these linebackers. And, you know, I'm going to ask Corey about the linebackers because I'm not really sure of what to expect. You know, they have David Mayo, they have John Bostick. Uh, not really any names that I would point out. Maybe they're underrated. I don't know, but it just doesn't look like a good unit. Uh, will they play soft zone defense due to cornerback injuries? I feel like if Moreau comes back to play more man coverage, Aziz is coming back, so you could play more man coverage and try to get home with four or five guys. We'll see what Wink does. And the Giants finally stop the run. I think Aziz is a good help in that. But at the same time, it depends the positioning, right? You know, you could move Tibbs slightly into the interior. Jihad Ward on one side, Aziz on the other side. So, once again, it all depends in terms of the game plan and the execution. Uh, the linebackers, you know, maybe you put, maybe this is weird. Maybe this sounds weird. They had Tibbs rushing from the middle um, against the Cowboys a little bit, right? Maybe you put him there a little bit for running downs. Now, obviously, you can't predict pass run every single time and he's decent in coverage but maybe you ought to do that and put like maybe Jalen Smith next to him I'm not saying have him be the mic but I think that's better than Tay Crowder being next to him or maybe in some downs Micah McFadden we'll see uh can the Giants rack up some turnovers versus Heineke I think he had one or two against the Atlanta Falcons so I think it is possible we rack up some turnovers. Can the Giants get to the quarterback for the first time in two games? They've had two games without a sack. Detroit and Dallas, they have good old lines. I'm not making excuses, but at the same time, this needs to be a game where you need to rack up a couple of sacks. Not just one, not just two. My prediction's two, but it needs to be three, four. My personal opinion. Get to the quarterback and make Heineke's life hell. Uh, and does Aziz return and his, his, is his presence felt? His presence really wasn't felt against the Cowboys, but his presence was felt when he had that forced fumble on Justin Fields. So make it felt. Line him up against Sam Cosme or do reverse where Thibodeau could go against Cosme, maybe get some more production. We'll see what happens. Um, but keys to win and a prediction, that's what we're going to get to. Number one is protect Daniel Jones. Um, the interior has to do a really good job, or at least a solid job to give Jones an efficient amount of time to throw the ball not 10 seconds not 0.2 seconds but enough time to where he gets the ball out because that interior you know it's one thing if you get pressure from the tackles you could escape out of it but if you get pressure from the interior you're more likely fucked uh number two balance out the offense efficiently see what works and balance it out right if the running game's working stick with it but keep the passing game and some creative concepts in your pocket um, don't get spun out by tendencies, right? Don't overrun it with Barkley. Don't overrun it overall, or else they will find a way in the second half or even in the second quarter to stop the run. And, you know, I feel that this is going to be a very low-scoring defensive game. 
So it's going to be a run-type 90s football game. But if you want to be efficient through the air, you want to try that, then you pass the ball a little bit more and you put up more points or at least have the chance to because, in my personal opinion, as I've felt for a while, the running game doesn't put up 30 points. The passing game will more likely do that. And then number three, stop the run. As I've stated before, I'm not too scared of their passing offense. Obviously, McLaurin is a threat as well as Samuel. Um, But at the same time, got to stop the run. We have to have a game where we have some good run defense. And this is the game where it's going to be ground and pound. And Giant fans will be loud. Got to stop the run. Got to stop the run. Jalen Smith has to be very good. Micah McFadden, whoever you put in that box, they have to be good at the second level. Um, They just have to be good. Or else it's going to get away from them. Overall, though, before we get to the interview, I have the Giants winning this game 19-16, getting back on top. Um, Obviously, I talked in the playoff video about how the second game means a little bit more towards the Giants' playoff chances, whether they beat the Commanders or not. That kind of goes towards the tiebreaker. But they definitely needed to put this game as a win on the schedule. There's no doubt about that. Um, You know, a lot of people think that the season's going to be over if they lose this game. Obviously, you guys feel how you feel. I'll feel how I feel. But I think it's 1916 Giants. Let's go to the interview. All right, we are now with Corey Sanchez of the YouTube channel On The Warpath. You can subscribe to his channel with the link in the description. Corey, how are you feeling coming into this game with everything that's on the line and just your first thoughts overall? Yeah, well, first thoughts overall, I appreciate you having me, Alex. Uh, thanks so much for reaching out to me. Excited. Always good to uh, talk family business with a member of the NFC East family. Uh, you know, we, you all have started out like uh, gangbusters this year, and then we had to reach out behind y'all and kind of raise the property value in the NFC East, and now everybody has a, a winning record. But, um, you know, I, I've got this uh, mentality that's one game at a time. Uh, I don't really care who we play next week. Uh, we don't play anybody next week, but we play the Giants. At three, so it's all about the Giants for the next three weeks for me. And um, I know what Brian Dayball has added to this team, and, and it's not really been the roster because y'all's roster is, for the most part, pretty but very similar to a year ago. But um, it, it's just the attitude that uh, him and the new general manager have brought to this squad and – uh, they, they've been achieving some great things there. I knew when y'all at one in week one at Tennessee, I said, this Giants here, I, I even said in the offseason, I thought the Eagles weren't going to be as good as they were, but I said I didn't think the Giants were going to be as bad as everybody was already predicting. Now this, I had no idea seven wins like this late in the season for the Giants, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a rough, I think it's going to be a slobber knocker. Uh, we played uh, – uh, Great game up there at FedEx Field last year against you all. Uh, thank you for the the offsides and, and giving Dustin Hopkins another lease on life. And then thank you for the Jake Fromm game. But other than that, the Giants, Daniel Jones, or what do we, we call him Vanilla, Bit, uh, Vanilla Vic down here because that's what he always looks like when he plays our boys. He he is uh, unconscionable and unstoppable, uh, and, and we just make it hard on ourselves when we play Daniel Jones. Well, I hope he turns into Vanilovic and uses his legs <laughs> on Sunday. I'll be at the game, so I'll be freezing my ass off with the MetLife win. <laughs> um, last year, I went to the Eagle game, but that was all fun in games because, hey, listen, that was our only win against an NFC East opponent all year. Um, that was the last one of the season as well. But 
moving into uh, getting to a little bit, getting to know a little bit more about the commanders, obviously, mm-hmm. this season. Uh, how has Heineke done in your view since taking over for Carson Wentz? And has he, it feels like to me from an outsider standpoint, he's produced a little bit more turnovers as a game manager. He has. Uh, that's his. Uh, my biggest joke about Taylor is he's always good. He's always good for one. And the point is, can you survive that one turnover that he gets? Um, you know, last week against Atlanta, he had a, a crucial uh, interception right before half that probably could have gotten us some uh, points, maybe an opportunity at a field goal. But it's the weirdest thing about this team. They have rallied around him, and it's something that. You know, Carson Wentz really didn't have, maybe because he's a new kid on the block in, in the Burgundy and Gold, and Taylor's been there for the last two – this is third season in Washington, really two and a half years because he came in late in the 2020 season. But it, ever since he came in for Dwayne Haskins in 2020 during the Carolina game, and then we know the playoff game that we've all celebrated, it's something about this dude. They, that he just like he pulls his teammates in and they go out there and, and fight for him. But he has produced a lot of turnovers, um, more than Carson has. He, you know, he, he's prone to fumble the ball, he looks in on one target. Um, I, I remember in uh week two last year against you all, I was at that game at FedEx Field and I can't remember who the guy was that picked the ball off. It Brad may have Barry. been – it was Bradbury. Yeah. And he was looking like – that. he looked right in that direction, and Bradbury beamed. And we thought that cost us, but we were able to force a, a Graham Gano field goal, and then, you know, we went downfield, and J.D. McKiss had that big catch, and then, you know, we were blessed to have a redo at the kick uh, at the end of the game. But, um, you know, it, it's about surviving his turnovers, but – like I said, the guy's got this quality and this this moxie about him that that's just contagious, and these guys love it. It's a complete this team that I saw that lost against Tennessee, the Tennessee Titans, uh, and who barely beat the Chicago Bears the prior week. But ever since Carson Wentz broke that finger in Chicago, this has been a completely different team. I've definitely been recognizing that. Now yeah. I want to turn. Before we go back to the weapons on offense and all mm-hmm. these different things, maybe it was just a few comments that I saw, but from what I know, Scott Turner has become disliked as the offensive coordinator. Uh, is that still going on with you guys winning football games, or is it the production on offense and the way it just has to be styled? The defense has saved him a lot of times. Uh, his situational play calling can be very abysmal. Um a, you know, Monday night football, I'll take, for example, we're beating the Philadelphia Eagles, running down their throats. He calls pass plays with, with uh, inside the five. But your your running game's got you down here. And it's like he has to get pass happy sometimes. And sometimes that's what leads to these turnovers by Taylor. Go with what's working. I think his play calling has gotten better because he's leaned more on the run, especially we've got our own version of Luke Cage and – um in uh, Brian Robinson, and then, uh, you know, a- uh, Antonio Gibson, who's questionable on Sunday, but uh, he adds a dimension to that game. We saw Jonathan Williams last week. He had another physicality to uh, that running game. So uh, with Scott Turner, it's just not overthinking himself. He acts like he's the smartest guy in the room sometimes. You can see there's a little bit of arrogance 
to his play calling because his father was a great offensive play caller in this league in North, won three Super Bowls with the Cowboys, uh, won a couple of Super Bowls with the Cowboys and everything. So, you know, he, and he's riding on that coattails. And then he's coming back to the place where his dad got fired at about 20 years prior to then. And, you know, he grew up, he went to high school out in Northern Virginia area. So it, this is pretty much his home, but he, he's got to get a little bit better um, with the play call. And there are a lot of people that still will call for his heads in the middle of games. I get tweets all the time from uh, Bernie Gold fans. It's like, what is Scott doing? What is he thinking? I'm sitting here like, oh, I'm like, Scotty, come on. It's just so they're, they're still, I, I think it's quelled a little bit because the media and the fans have a different opinion. Mm-hmm. on uh, on him and it's the media thinks he's this uh up and coming offensive mind but he always needed a quarterback right uh you got the quarterback and Carson Wentz I mean as fragile as he is you should be able to capitalize on they're one and four at that point uh so yeah I, I think it's a little bit the fan base is a little dis in uh it's kind of disheartened by Scott Turner the media seems like he's not doing a bad job but uh yeah it's oh. Yeah, your comments that you read are true. Like they, there are a lot of people that are pissed off with Scott Turner. Moving on to a guy not named Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel had a rough season, rough first season as a commander. I don't remember if he played any games, but I know there were some injury concerns. Definitely, mm-hmm. has he flipped the script? Absolutely, he is not on the stat sheet, but if you look at it. Um, he has like when you need a first down picked up, he'll get it for you. Uh, when you need a that that quick conversion to 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 move the chains, Curtis will do it. Last year he was hurt. His biggest game came in that win against Atlanta last year. They used him a lot, but he was still hurt. Uh, he had that groin injury, which really the report said he had it back in June, and it takes so long to get get to up the snuff with that. And by that time. It was already the, the season was already over, but you see, he he scored the first touchdown as the Washington Commanders in Week One. Uh, he's just a, he's a jackknife. He he's a jack of all trades, and that's somebody you need. He is a I don't even want to say poor man, but he's what Debo Samuel is, what Cordero Patterson is. He is that to us because you can do almost anything. You can line him in the backfield. You can um, uh, take him out wide. And he just adds a different dimension. And I imagine that you will see if Antonio Gibson cannot go tomorrow, you will see a lot of Curtis Samuel lined up in the backfield. Do you think Gibson will go along with uh, Chase Young? Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, That has been the uh, question of the year or the last month is about Chase Young. Antonio Gibson, I'm not really sure. I would probably lean on the side of uh, no at this point, but I wouldn't be surprised if he went just because he was missing a lot in the uh, in the Atlanta lo- in the Atlanta loss in the Atlanta win, um, and they just focused on Brian Robinson, which is something they've been trying to do um, all season since he came back. But uh, I would think you probably might not see him if he's questionable right now. I don't even know if he even practiced at all. This week, definitely, if he didn't practice, uh, I think he might he go down. On, yeah, he's limited on Friday and Wednesday. Didn't practice on Thursday. I would change it. I think he. I think you'll see him. I, I give him a fifty-five percent chance. You'll see him if that. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Moving towards the offensive line, by the stats, the commanders have out allowed one less sack than the Giants' offensive line. Do you think that stat is overblown? How is the O-line played? And I also know that you guys have tried Turner out, and there's going to be some uh, you know, combination mixing among the offensive line come Sunday. Good, good. Trey Turner is terrible. Uh, Andrew Norwell, terrible. Our guards, are, we've had terrible guard play. Yeah, like if you go back and look at some of the tape, especially early on, uh, 68, Andrew Norwell, who's an all-pro in Carolina, has been put on ice skates. I I, I thought Disney on uh, – I didn't know Disney on ice was at FedEx Field. I thought they did it like at the uh, – whatever they call it, Capital One Arena, uh, where the Wizards and Capitals play. But um, – you know, he hasn't been that good. Trey Turner, I mean, uh, he, he just – he was a guy who didn't play in the preseason. Um, Wes Schweitzer, who's come back, he was kind of the guy who's going to be that guard in that, uh, in, in that right guard spot. Uh, they've even had Sam Cosme, who's our starting right tackle, play that right guard uh, in practice uh, sometimes just to see that combination. And there is a school of thought that's thinking that maybe Cosme should be moved inside the guard and maybe go find another right tackle. But our tackles haven't played too bad this year. Uh, Charles Leno's probably one of our best offensive linemen. Uh, he came from Chicago a couple years ago and a uh, good dude. Uh, and he, he's been a good left, a left tackle for nowhere near like Trent Williams and everything. And I remember y'all y'all seen what Trent Williams can do to you. I mean, we go back to 2016 when Odell was kicking the uh field uh field goal nets and everything. The one thing in that game was we had lost all our our our, our tackles pretty much and our guard. Trey uh Trent Williams had to move in the guard to to that and to that effect. So uh but no, I, I like Leno. Spencer Larson, who's our uh, backup center, he's in there. Uh, he he's done all right since he's got in there because Chase Rulia got hurt early on in the season. He had a bad leg from a loss in Denver last year and never really got straight on that. But uh, the offensive line, John Matsko, our offensive line coach, the man is like the Van Gogh um, of offensive line, like of offensive line coach, because you can put he can paint something. You can it's like oh, this is like a bunch of crap. And make something beautiful out of it. And that's what he does. Uh, so, you know, I have no concerns with the offensive line. Um, my biggest thing is with Taylor is that you've got legs. Use them. Don't worry about being a pocket passer. Just go, 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 go. Especially when you all have, like, Leonard Williams, who looks like he's coming back. He he was questionable this week. So he's going to be out there. So I, I, I'm, I'm concerned in that respect that uh, those guys are going to need to hold up. But uh, the offensive line <sighs> – Eh, the guard play has been uh, has left a lot to be desired in that situation. So I hope West Schweitzer's health healthy enough to go out there and uh, maybe solidify this um, this offensive line going into uh, December and January. Yeah, when you pointed out the guard weakness, I'm like, yeah, yeah you guys, you guys ought to better watch for Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. Um, yeah. Obviously, also as well, we got Aziz Ojalari coming back, but obviously by statistics and all that, I would assume they're a better run blocking unit. Mm -hmm, absolutely. No doubt. Moving on uh, to the defensive side of the ball. We talked a little bit about him earlier. Um, where's the fan base at with Chase Young three years in? There, there's um, – and I, I, for me, and I'll go to the fan base, I think we can throw the generational talent talk out the window. Uh, I need him to be um, DeMario Williams. I need him to be – uh, maybe a, a clowny type who, you know, he, he's a force to be reckoned with, but he's not 
this elite talent. He's just this very, very good talent that can give you maybe an elitish season every once in a while. I think that conversation out the door. Uh, the fan base is hoping they comes back because they, they think that he's going to energize this uh, this defense line, which the defense line has played very well over the last tenish weeks. Uh, you've got two of the best, and I, I'll say this till the cows come up. You have the two best interior defensive tackles in the NFL, and um, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, and then you put Montez Sweat as your one of your edge rushers. We've had a, a rolling, you know, Rolodex really of James Smith Williams, Casey Tuhill was a Giants draft pick. I'm not a Giants draft pick, but a, a Eagles draft pick in 2020. And uh, you know, those guys have been in there filling around. We've had uh, John Ridgeway uh, on the defensive line who the guy who uh suplexed uh the Houston Texans running back the other week. So, you know, but with Chase Young I don't think when he's ready to go, he needs to play. Like it, it's, I, I get tired of this narrative that oh, we don't know if Chase will we activate him. I said you're w- wasting a roster spot at this point, especially in the month of December when you're trying to make a push to the party. Uh, if he can't go, you're just making a spectacle out of this. I think that this may not be the best time for him to go, just because it is a turf surface. Uh, and I would like to see him go on natural grass before he went on a turf surface, especially at the Meadowlands, because I know that you all have had some concerns. Uh, and I think the league has even, you know, kind of notified uh, the stadium about like, you know, that the playing surface isn't that great. Um, so, you know, but I, I have no room to talk FedEx field. We almost broke Jalen Hurts uh, last year. So I can't really talk about playing surfaces and, and everything like that. But um I mean, if he he's ready to go, they said he was sick last week. He needs to go. Like I, I I'm tired of this this narrative. I think the fan base is to either shut him down or play him. Yeah, I can definitely see the frustrations over the last you know few years. Obviously, with the injury, I would personally, if you know, I was a part of that staff, I would honestly wait a little bit because if you think about it, this game is very monumental. It's very pivotal for both teams. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you guys have a bye. And then the second game, and if you guys, let's just say we win on Sunday, you guys win that second game, you guys get the tiebreaker either Mm -hmm. way. So obviously you guys would get the win in in that standard alone. Um, Moving on, thoughts on the inside linebacking core. Not many notable names, at least that I recognize, uh, other than a guy who was a backup with the Giants and David Mayo and uh, <laughs> first-round pick in uh, Jamin Davis. But uh, do the safeties do more in the box in terms of production than linebackers? What's the story there? There's a They, they kind of play off of each other, right? Uh, Jamin Davis has been uh, been excellent this year. I thought he he's improved uh, over last year. They tried to turn him into a Mike. He's not a Mike. He, he needs to just go out there and attack. And I think he was doing too much thinking. Cole Holcomb, a name that y'all probably familiar with, uh, that he's been on the team since 2019. He's been out for a while. Sat, re-signed John Bostic in the offseason after he got cut from New Orleans Saints. And then, uh, like you said, Mayo, who, I mean, I don't know why that guy's out there. Uh, he couldn't cover water if he fell out of a boat. Uh, and he, he's not really good in run support. Bostic is at least a little bit good in run support there. But, uh, you know, Cam Curl, 
Derek Force, who's come on this year, uh, number 22, they play like kind of uh, close to the ground. They play that Buffalo, that Buffalo nickel, kind of that uh, our boy Landon Collins. Uh, hopefully he's there. I, I don't even know. Hey, has he been playing for y'all yet, or is he still on the practice squad? So I forget when we signed him, but he played uh, – when we played Seattle, he played when we he played when we uh we versed the Jaguars. Hasn't been activated since, and I'm just wondering to this point whether it's something to do with the cap situation or it's mm-hmm. something to do with the fact they don't see him as a pivotal fit. Yeah, I to me, and you know, not to change the subject, I thought it was very telling that nobody went after him or really even had conversations with him. Uh, after June, like just to kind of have the feeler out there for him because we know what kind of presence he is. He can't cover to save his life, but he's the best off the ball linebacker in the NFL. That, that's what the pro football focus that wrote back in 2019. And I mean, it was clear evident that, uh, you know, when they played Dallas last year, that that was the case. Uh, so, you know, I, but the safeties we have now, and I think have uh, they finally gotten this safety situation, Figured out, knock on wood. Cam Curl, excellent. Um, like I said, Derek Forrest, you've taken away Bob McCain, who y'all basically gave Bob. I, I think we should charge the Giants for us resigning Bob McCain because if we did not play that Big game, six last uh, year. yeah, yeah. So it like against uh, Jake Fromm, we would have been, uh, you know, we probably would have had a different safety out there. But no, the safeties they're going to play close to the line. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll see a single high safety there. But um, they, they like Jack likes playing them close to the line and, and maybe having a, a safety as that kind of tweener type rover type guy who plays close to the line of scrimmage, but it can also break out in coverage. Just a question I thought of before mm-hmm. going into what happened last week. You guys don't blitz a ton. You guys are 19th in blitz percentage analytically. Do you guys stack the box against running teams depending on their weapon situation? Because I know, obviously, we don't have good weapons. I mean, I'm going to mm-hmm. be the first person to say that. Do, are we going to look for possibly Washington to stack the box, or are they going to play you know, a traditional defense? Yeah, you're going to see a traditional defense with them. You might see a little bit of uh, blitzing, but uh, for the most part, uh, Jack has really – that defensive line – it's where you generate a lot of that pressure at. And you may occasionally see Jamin Davis get blitzed, but you you really don't – I mean, linebackers, uh, safeties don't really blitz here, and corners don't really blitz here. It's really just traditional. Um, they'll take five down linemen sometimes. They, they, they will run that. Uh, I've seen that. We saw that a lot last week against the, um, against the Falcons, which they triple teamed Deron Payne. And uh, John Allen, there's like a, it's it's the weird, it's the craziest thing. It's like three white jerseys, three white jerseys. And then this hole just opened up because everybody else is split. So, I mean, if, if that's the poison you want to pick, I said, go with it. But yeah, it's very traditional with Jack Dory. I, I think Jack really depends on a good edge rusher. And that if he can get Chase Young back, you have two and Montez Sweat and Chase Young. Uh, but he, he's going to depend on that line to do a lot of that pressuring. Speaking of last week, mm-hmm. you guys are, I believe, eighth against the run this year. What happened last week when you guys gave up a ton of yards to the Falcons? Was it because it was a non-traditional, very weird type rushing offense? Or mm-hmm. also did it you know, have to do with the fact that there will be tripping, triple teaming your D-linemen? 
a little bit of both, right? And then they had the mobile quarterback and and Marcus Mariota as well. I, I think Marcus had about 50-some yards on the ground against us. Uh, but, you know, I think it was a lot to do with the triple team and them attacking it, but then we made those adjustments and we had to realize that Marcus Mariota has to beat us with his arm, not with his legs. Kind of the argument we always say about Jalen Hurts, right? But he can beat you with both. Um, good luck down the stretch playing them twice uh, in December and <laughs> December and January. But um, yeah, I, I think that's where it was. It was very non-traditional, uh, and also we had seen a lot of this last year because Arthur Smith was in his first year. Cordero Patterson it ran through us like a warm knife through butter. So I, I mean, we were kind of familiar with what they were doing there um, in, in Atlanta and who they wanted to take, and then what also took out the equation as well Kyle Pitts was out so you really didn't have that tied in and you know sometimes we do struggle with a uh, with a decent tight end and that was kind of a, a relief that he was not down there I, I think Kyle Pitts is uh in that goal situation where they where we tipped the ball up in the air uh I don't think we're talking about maybe uh Washington winning coming out on that game but uh thankfully he wasn't there as a red zone threat yeah, that was a very uh, stupid ending on the Falcons' part. I was watching. We love it. We love it. We love to see it, man. <laughs> stupid is stupid does. That's what Mama always says, right? <laughs> but uh, you guys won ugly, and wins are important. And before we get to uh, some of the, you know, juicier game prep, mm-hmm. what was the force? Because everybody was looking at the Commanders to be like obviously last place. They were falling apart. You had the Ron Rivera press conference about Carson Wentz and all these different things that happened. What's the force that's been driving you guys to now, oh, my God, you're one loss behind the Giants? I have a theory here. William Jackson III. Defense has improved since since we play, since we played Chicago, right? What's the common denominator? William Jackson III has not played since then. He eventually got traded. When did he get traded? The week we played the Minnesota Vikings. That was our last loss. But he hadn't played since uh, he was benched or took himself out of the game, whatever you want to call it. I think that's been a common denominator because there was stories going on about he was the guy. he's He's only a man corner. He's only a man corner. It don't matter. Your guys are going out there playing man and zone and everything else, but you're just a man corner. Like you're the highest paid corner. You you get paid to do just more than this. So what to me you're saying is you're a limited corner and you don't deserve the money you got. They got rid of them. And I think they won't get the draft picks because of but it's worth it in, in, in a situation like that. And I don't think Ron Rivera ever lost a locker room is another thing. He never lost a locker room. And I think that that was key. That was pivotal. He had, key, he had uh, leaders in there. Jonathan Allen uh, was taking it on himself. He said, we got to get this right. We got to get it right. He's like, it, it, it's not fun. He said, I don't like to lose. You know, he went to Alabama. They don't lose too often. And I, I think that kind of resonated. And then you had the Taylor Heineke switch, uh, and they went out there. And, and, I mean, the defense has played inspiring since uh, then. I, I mean, if we look at it uh, – 20, what was it? Whatever we gave up against the Eagles may have been the most we've given up since that Chicago game. Since that, that's really when the season got started, was on Thursday night football. 
uh, against the Bears. But since then, the team has put together some uh, impressive performances, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I think a commitment to running the football also has helped uh, in that situation. But I think Ron's words were kind of taken out of context with Taylor Heineke. Uh, I mean, not with Taylor Heineke, with Carson Wentz. It was just saying that, you know, all these quarterbacks have been in the same system for long. Dak's been in the system. Cooper Rush had been in that system for a while. He just came back, right? Um, you, you look at the Eagles. Jalen Hurts has been in that system for over a year now. Uh, Daniel Jones, he's been established as a quarterback in New York. I mean, it's a new system for him, but a lot of the things are still the same, and, and you finally get Saquon back. He doesn't have to do as much. So there, there's like – I think they could those words could have got – uh, twisted and turned a little bit. He should, should should Ron have said that? No, no, he didn't. But I, I think he was pissed off, and he um he has a tendency when people aren't believing in his way, he kind of goes on these little uh, tirades that are like, well, you know, he, he why why aren't you believing in me? Like this is what we do. So, uh, you know, but I, I think they finally got it right when they got rid of like William Jackson third, and then that's when the defense stepped up because they didn't have any more outliers. Um, you know, question what the defense is doing. The secondary has played some of its best ball since then also. Got to get this one out of the way before we get to the juicy game prep. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. You may or may not know where this is going, but I wanted to not be casual and actually get somebody's opinion on this. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the Sean Taylor Memorial? Okay, here we go. Okay. I'm glad you asked this because I have a different opinion than a lot of people you've seen on social media. Uh, <laughs> you're going to spare me a couple minutes on this one. If his family's cool with it, I'm cool with it. A lot of people don't believe that. Uh, I think people, excuse my French, want to bitch and moan about anything the commanders do. Uh, now, do I think with the mannequin? The mannequin was rough. I'm not going to lie about that. The mannequin was rough. I don't know. He never wore a Nike jersey. Why you got him in a Nike jersey? But that memorial was more than just the mannequin, and they don't show that. They had a case with his jer- with his practice jersey in it, and uh, some of the notes he took during uh, some of the film study. Uh, they had a collection of some of his jerseys, not just Redskin jerseys, uh, Miami jerseys, and-, and they were out there as well. Uh, they-, they had a lot of different things that people didn't see, but the media and people who want to be upset, I call it now, I use it. See, I-, I work in higher education, so I will now I use this. Like when I'm in meetings and stuff, I said, it's the mannequin argument. I said, what did you not like about it outside of the mannequin? Well, that mannequin, I said, they said they had him in the, the these cleats that he didn't wear. I said, he wore those cleats. They just weren't taped. He wore those Adidas soccer cleats. If you Google, you will say, he didn't wear gloves. I said, Google Sean Taylor. Where, what do you see? He was in an all-white all uniform and had black gloves on. I said, he did that. He wore that. So it's not like he didn't wear it. I said, the mannequin, yeah, that's a little that's a little rough. But apparently his family had a lot to do with it. And last year I was more upset than I was this year when they had like they were retiring this number. They took the picture in front of the Porter John and it was just like, guys, come on in. You you can do a little bit better. You can do a little bit better than this. But what Sean meant, and, and I, I think the reason why they did the Nike jersey was because Landon Collins still has that jersey from um 
Dan Snyder that day they met when he was signing with us in 2019. So uh, if y'all can get that back for us, we would greatly appreciate because that mom doesn't deserve it. Uh, but no, man, I, I, after family school, his daughter loved it. His dad loved it. Um, and, you know, they, they would say, well, they don't want them to come off as un- ungrateful or something like that. I'm like, if they don't want to come off as ungrateful, I, I wouldn't blame them if they said this was crap. Like, this is an honor in my dad's memory. This is an honor in my son's memory. Like, go ahead and do it. I'm like, but if they cool with it, I'm cool with it. And I, I don't, like, people argue say he was more than just their dad, more than just her dad and, and, and Pete's son and everything. I said, that's bullcrap, guys. That's bullcrap. At the end of the day, that's what he was. He was a man. He was a father. He was a son. He was a brother. He was a cousin, whatever you want to call it. Everything else, that's primary with his family. He was a redskin secondarily, but we loved him. We loved him to death. And, you know, you want to do right by the fans, but if his family's cool, I'm cool with it. That, that And that, it, it shouldn't matter at the end of the day. But, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for asking that question. But, I, I, I like, I have been back and forward with this with a lot of fans, and it's just like, guys, let's move on. I said, this, this is – this is trivial. We just don't want something to. Oh, this is what happens when you don't go on winning streaks for a long time, Alex. And uh, you, you want something to nitpick at because it, it's been the Sean Taylor Memorial. And should Ty, Taylor Heineke start? And when should Carson Wentz start if he's healthy? See, I didn't know half the information you told me. I didn't yeah. know that those soccer cleats were actually his. I didn't yeah. know about the gloves and the nose. So thank you for, in, you know, giving me this information but mm-hmm. you're talking about p- being picky about things i mean yeah. last year everybody made a joke about that medium pepsi that they oh, were getting, yeah that, uh, john oh, mara was giving to us for fan appreciation day oh so. lord lord have mercy i my favorite uh giant moment is when tom coughlin came up in there and said he was stepping down and he didn't shake the mayor's hands and everything so i i like that i said man respect to coughlin for that one so <laughs> To this day, even though we're winning football games, I don't blame him necessarily. Yeah, I don't so, either. Hey, he's a hey, Tom Coughlin's a G man, and I, I I got a lot of respect for the for the old angry uh, red faced man uh, up there. Him, y'all won the uh, uh, conference title back in 07, and he just was like, hey, oh my gosh, dude was as red as my notebook. Over, hey, Tom Coughlin, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> oh man. Getting into uh, the juicy game prep. Two mm-hmm. X-Factors, one on offense and one on defense for the Commanders on Sunday. X-Factor on offense, I would say it's going to be Brian Robinson because I think that's how they're going to feed the rock to him. Uh, he's coming off his first 100-yard game uh, on the ground as a professional. Uh, you know, big hat and uh, big ball energy for him there. On defense, uh, one of my favorite guys that i, I has came out of nowhere is um, Derek Forrest. I think if he can uh, play good, well in coverage and play against a good, uh, against the run, y'all going to have problems because uh, he, he knows how to tackle. Uh, and that's something that we have not been able to do against Saquon Barkley is tackle him. Well, it's the same problem we had with Brandon Jacobs. Uh, we could not tackle him. So uh, he tackles low and he's a physical presence. Uh, so I, those are my two guys, Brian Robinson, uh, junior on offense and Derek force to safety on defense. And just another question as well, before we move to mm-hmm. the two X factors, uh, you see for the giants, I know, uh, that Benjamin St. Juicy, I probably mispronouncing it, but no, I you got it right. Out. Yeah. Oh, he's good. out. Good. Yeah. 
Uh, Benjamin St. Juicy, he is out. How do you feel about Christian Holmes starting? And then also as well, who's your slot corner? Slot corner, Bob McCain's kind of moved into that slot role. We had uh, Rashad Wild Goose there for a little bit, but uh, I think he, he's been hurt. But uh, Bob McCain, which he played a lot of slot when he played uh, when he was with the Dolphins. So, you know, that's more natural. And I think he's kind of rose to the occasion. Also, Kendall Fuller has played some uh, good ball over the last couple of weeks. He's got interceptions in back-to-back weeks, uh, game ceiling one, and he had a pick six down in Houston. Um, you know, and I remember a couple of years ago up in New York, uh, he, he had a nice interception, Daniel Jones in the end zone. So, you know, hopefully the good times roll on with him getting an interception. And even if he doesn't get an interception, he just plays some good coverage on, uh, you know, y'all's wide receivers and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I Christian Holmes, I, I mean, it got, got was a seven-round pick. I don't really think we thought he was going to be here at this point. So, you know, but he's big and lengthy and, and lanky. So hopefully, you know, I, I just need an okay day out of him. It, it, if he can have an okay day in coverage, um, I, I mean, I whoever y'all's number two receiver is, that that's probably who he's going to go up against all day. It depends because Darius Slayton, he's questionable with an illness. So, I mean, he's our number one, basically. But then Isaiah Hodgins is the number two who's been decent over the last few weeks. So it's, you know, it could either go one way or the other way. Um, But moving to the Giants, how do you view X factors, one on offense, one on defense? My, I, I, on offense, it, I always go to chalk, but. Because he always said, I would say Saquon, but y'all's X factor has got to be Daniel Jones. I was at the game when he threw five touchdowns against us in, um, in the last game as the Redskins. And I, I think if you limit that guy, uh, if you limit Daniel Jones, you make him uh, feel a little bit of pain. And I mean, you remember last year when y'all was at, at FedEx, dude almost ran for 100 yards against us. So you got to limit him. So for that that fact alone, he is the X factor for me. And I think for everyone, you can say Saquon, and it might be true. But I think at the end of the day, the guy who always finds a way to unpants us is uh, is Daniel Jones. So I, I I've got to go with Daniel Jones. He's got he is public enemy number one for for me. Um, on defense, you know, you talk. I, I talked about him earlier. I know he's a wrecker uh, and. I, I, Leonard Williams is, is usually the guy. If he's healthy, um, I, I think he can make some uh, big problems uh, along that offensive line, an offensive line that has weak, very weak guard play. So that's who I'd go with there. I, and I like Leonard Williams coming out of USC uh, back in 2015. And I thought you all got a steal when you trade him uh, with the Jets. And uh, I that that's who I would definitely go for as an x factor. Unless Landon Collins finds his way on the field. Because then I, I think he'd be like a, a shark with blood in the water. Definitely. And two last things. Who's going to win this game? And where can people find you? Social media, YouTube, all that sort of stuff. Who's going to win the game? The team with the most points. And uh, for me, I think it's going to be my Washington. I, I know it's going to be my Washington Commanders. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be any kind of beat down any side of the way. But it, it seems like every time we go up to the metal lanes, it's something, something always turns sideways against us. So with that being said, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think it's going to be ugly. Give me – it's going to be like a score we don't really even see that often. So I, 
I'll say like 18 to 18 to 10. You know, maybe something like uh, along those lines and, and something freaky happens. 17. Let's go 17 then. Uh, this is a more common score. And uh, people can find me at Sanchez45, like you got right down here, at Sanchez45 on all social media platforms. Also, you can find me on the Warpath. You look for this logo right here. Uh, you can find me there uh, on YouTube. I usually stream all uh, the games. So I will be up in Adam about 1230 Eastern time. Uh, before kickoff of the Commanders and the Giants. Uh, so, um, you know, but I wish this game was on Sunday Night Football instead of the other game that was going to be on. I wish I could get a little sleep during the day instead of Dallas and Indianapolis. I said, come on. Well, I must man. add on to that. There is definitely potential, at least maybe your beat reporters may or may not have been saying it, but that uh-huh. second game that might be flexed to Saturday. So, yes, I think that's what's going to happen. And maybe a Saturday evening game. So, I think it's. For me, that's why I think it's very pivotal that we win this game because y'all y'all have got the market for yourselves anyway. So you you know y'all top dogs in New York, but uh, for us, I think it's pivotal for us to win that game and for us to get that home game to host that game, a primetime game at home, or you know maybe a game where the whole uh, country's looking at us. So it could be a four thirty game, it could be an eight o'clock game. I think they do it now where it's like. They pick a game for one, four, and eight on that Saturday, right? Like they did last year because it was like the Texans were in the uh, – what was it? Texans and whoever were at um, one one hour, and then they had – like it was a full schedule pretty much. So I don't they, – I, I don't care. But I, I just anyway, need a win. <laughs> well, we would like a win too, but obviously one can only win or else you know, there's yeah. a tie. Um would like to thank Corey for coming on. Like, comment, and subscribe. Do all the good stuff, everybody. Check out his channel on the Warpath and some of his stuff on social media at Sanchez405. Appreciate Corey coming on once again, and uh, we'll see you guys next time.